Have you got your Bibles with you this morning? That is good. That is very good. So we're um, looking at uh, Mark, Mark chapter 4 this morning. And uh, a, a fantastic portion of Scripture, Matthew, sorry, Mark chapter 4. But we're also going to ha- flip over to Matthew chapter 13. So maybe you can sort of margin that, uh, Matthew chapter 13 as well. We're going to flip back and forth just because it is the same story. Matthew has a little bit more detail than Mark. Mark is almost like a newspaper sort of quick overall, you know, short gospel that is power-packed with the main sort of gist of, of what uh, Matthew is talking about, what Luke's talking about, and uh, John as well. So let's have a look at uh, Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's read. And again he began, Jesus began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to um, he said to them in his teaching, "Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up to be, to." Um, because it had no depth of earth but when the sun was up it was scorched and because it had no root it withered away verse 7 and some seed fell among the thorns and thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no crop but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up increased and produced some 30 some 60 and some 100 fold and he said to them he who has ears let him hear verse 10 but he, when he was alone with his, with his disciples, um, he asked, the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may not see and perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you not understand the other parables? The other, uh, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And, when they, and they have no root in themselves and endure only for a little time. And afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones who are among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that as uh, the message goes out this morning, that you would cultivate the soil. And as the word, the seed of the word goes out, it may fall on good 
ground on good soil and produce a harvest. I ask, that, Lord, that you use these words of mine to pierce our hearts, encourage us, and equip us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there is um, the portion of, of Scripture that I have to preach goes further, but I, just for the sake of time, I'm not, not going to be able to really unpack the whole thing. Uh, goes to 34 and it sort of does relate I'm going to touch a little bit on it but I'm not going to be able to just really unpack everything just for the sake of time but um, interesting here love this it's so we've all heard the parables of Jesus right we've heard them all you might understand you might see that there's there's uh, there's a lot of parables in the Bible um, and um and this parable is the very first time that Jesus begins to speak in parables. Before this time, Jesus always taught in plain language. Uh, you see the most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus spoke, and he spoke with no parables. He spoke very clearly, concisely, for everyone to understand and hear the message that he's preaching. And um, so he he comes here and uh, I think it was about a year into his ministry then he speaks in parables and um, the first parable that he gives is the parable of the seed and the sower uh, which really is the parable of the soil because um, we see here in between wedged in between the actual parable and the explanation of what the parable is there is the question of why do you, Jesus, the disciples ask, why do you speak in parables? So that's what we're going to have a look at. The first half of this message is just having a look at what is a parable, um, how do we understand parables, and what is the purpose of parables. And then we're going to come back and actually look at uh, look at the parable of the, of, the, of the sower. So answering three questions this morning about parables. Again, number one, what is a parable? Number two, how do we understand parables? And number three, what is the purpose? This is very important for us. Very important for us. Because if every time we come up to a, bar a parable, we must understand these things. We must understand how they, why they're there. And uh, my iPad is very slow. I need to get a new one. <laughs> um, or just get paper. Um, question one, what is a parable? A parable comes from the word pa 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 parabole. <laughs> That's the word, parabole. In the Greek, para, which means alongside. It's parallel, right? What it means is to lay something aside something else. Um, a parabole means placing one thing alongside another for comparison. Um, so what it is here, a parable is a practical story that illustrates spiritual truth. So they're stories that draw a comparison um, in order to illustrate a spiritual truth. It, a story is laid out alongside a spiritual truth. So we see here the story, for uh, the, uh, a, a uh, explanation of the seed and the sower. We see the, the, um, there's, there's the story... There's, there's the explanation. The story is laid parallel to the truth so that we can compare it and understand it, right? Now, question number two is this. 
How do we understand parables? This is very, very important. We can't, especially in our, in our world, in, our, in, in, in 2015, it's very, sometimes very difficult to understand how a first century Jew perceived a parable. So what we need to do, three things, is number one, listen from the hearer's perspective. How did the first century Jew hear the parable? Put yourself in their shoes and really get an understanding of how they perceived it. For example, let's just say the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan does no good to the reader if we don't understand who a Samaritan was. So we need to understand how they heard and perceived the story really has an impact on how we can understand the parable. Um, when we understand that the Samaritan was a despised person and, and, and um, also the amount of money that the Samaritan poured into the life of the, of the one on the wayside, um, we understand the, the portion of money. We, if you really do a basic understanding, you can just, just pick up a, a good um, um, commentary uh, or a couple and find out exactly you know what it is and you can see that the amount of money that the person just gave in order and the love he poured to to the to the person who was who was um who was who was injured is extravagant so parables sometimes illustrate exact they exaggerate for the for to to make an emphasis on something uh, and number 3 and let the truth change your perception so once we find out and get into the shoes of the people who are listening to the parable, let the truth, let the truth change perception. Um, sorry, so sorry. Number one, listen to the hearer's perspective. Number two, look for the main point. But the thing with parables is this: usually parables have one main point. Some of them might have sub points, but usually they have one main point that the Jesus. Is trying to, trying to say, trying to, trying to interject into the hearer, and then, and then let the truth change your perception, and allow it to change your heart. The whole point of parables is to challenge the way people think about something, um, to use kind of a backdoor route per se uh, through a story to challenge someone's perspective. It's a great way of communicating spiritual truth. And um, question number three is, what is the purpose of parables? Now, to find the answer for that, I want you to flip to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew, I don't have the scriptures on the screen. I did that on purpose <laughs> so that you can look in your Bible or your phone. Um, look, I want you to look at the, the, the Bible uh, as I read. <clears throat> as I read. So look in your own. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. I um, also didn't have enough, enough screen real estate for the, for the <laughs> amount of Scripture. Uh, Matthew 13, verse 10 says this. So it's the same story, same thing as in Mark chapter 4, but just in Matthew. The reason why Matthew is just because it just says it in a little bit more detail, says this. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now, um, 
we've got to understand here that this is the first time that Jesus has actually spoken. The guy, he's out in the boat. He's away from the crowd. So what's happened is the crowd has been following Jesus. Jesus has been doing miracles. Jesus has been raising the dead. Jesus has been doing things that are extravagant. Causes a crowd. People just get drawn to the miracles of Jesus. They get drawn. They want to know who is this person who's casting out demons, raising people from the dead, and healing people. I want to know who this is. So Jesus had a crowd. In order to effectively communicate what he wanted to communicate, he had to go out away from the crowd. He stepped out into a boat so the crowd couldn't just, you know, come to him. And then he starts preaching from the boat out into the crowd. Now, this is important because the, par- the reason why he speaks in parables and the, and the answer to that is quite amazing. So the disciples said, why do you speak in parables? Verse 11. And he answered and said to them. Now, <laughs> the answer that Jesus gives points to two purpose, two purpose for parables. And the purpose of parables is different based on two different audiences. Okay, here we go. And he answered them and said, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Two purposes for parables. Number one. Number one is this. To reveal. And secondly, to conceal. Jesus spoke specifically in parables to reveal the truth to those who believe in him, but to conceal the truth from those who rejected him. Isn't that interesting? It it wasn't because Jesus liked to tell stories or because it's easy to understand the truth. Not, Not just because of that, but because... He spoke in parables to illustrate spiritual truth to those who understood and believed in him, but to conceal truth from those who willfully reject him. Now, Jesus, again, he spoke very clearly. He spoke the message of of, of truth very clearly prior to parables. But people still chose to reject him people still were at heart at heart they still had deaf ears and you know what this is a kind of a judgment this is incredible i've been um i've been doing a little bit of study on parables even prior to even finding out that i even was uh preaching on parables and it was just i've always just wanted i've been intrigued as to what do parables actually mean and why did jesus speak And, and it's just amazing when when you do a bit of study on parables, is that there are two different reasons as to why Jesus spoke in parables. One is to reveal, one is to conceal. And our question is, why would Jesus conceal the truth from people? Because God always gives us time, and that is His mercy. 
That is His gracious mercy on us. The fact that we're still here and able to even just, we have the whole canon of Scripture. We have the New Testament. We have the Old Testament in full. And, and we're sitting here and we hear the Word constantly every week. And if we, are, if we continue to hard our hearts and shut our ears to the, the truth of the Word of God, there is only certain time that that grace period is. While we're still alive, there is hope for anyone to be saved. There is hope for anyone. As soon as, as long as you're still breathing, there is that mercy. God, you're alive because of God's gracious love. And what happened here is Jesus is demonstrating the fact that, you know what? He knew he only had a certain time on earth. He knew he only had a certain time. So what he wanted to do is, is preach the truth of the kingdom of God right, to a people who he knew that some will reject and some will accept. And so he was speaking plainly and clearly to a whole, to, to everyone. But then came a time where he could only, he, he only spoke in a way that would conceal the truth and reveal the truth. Conceal the truth from those who are hard at heart, who willfully reject Him, even after seeing signs and wonders and miracles, and the proof was in the pudding. The proof was that fact that Jesus was not just man, but He was God, and He was there to forgive sin and to, and to um, break the shackles of sin from them, and that only if they were just to open their hearts up and believe in Jesus, believe that He was the Messiah, they knew exactly that the Messiah was coming. No, that was not new. Now it says, the, to you it has been revealed the mysteries of God. The mystery is not something new. The mystery is that something in the Old Testament that has now been brought in the, in, in the new has been revealed in Christ. Nothing is new under the sun. So, to understand the mystery, what a mystery is in the Bible, is it, it, it's a mystery in a sense that what was concealed or what was a mystery in the Old Testament is revealed in Christ in the New Testament. So, Jesus gave it plainly. He did it through signs and wonders to demonstrate that He was God. People continued to reject Him. The Pharisees even said, if you just see in chapter 3, he called him, he said, they said that you do these things in the power of Beelzebub. In other words, in the power of the devil. So he, they rejected Jesus so much so that he, they said that you do these signs and wonders in the power of Satan. That is extremely blasphemous. Extremely. And it goes on to say about the unforgivable sin in illustration to that. It's amazing. So, so what, what, what happens here? Let's just continue uh, reading. Um, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, it has been given to you. That's a very important point. And here's the point. The point is this. The understanding is a gift given to you to understand the mystery. What happened when Jesus said to Paul, said, Paul um, Jesus said, flesh and blood. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. 
when, when Paul had that revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, flesh and blood did not reveal that to him, did not give that to him, but only my Father in heaven gave that to him. That is a gift from heaven. The fact that you and I see the cross and see forgiveness, do you think that's because you're intellectually smart? Does that mean that you are smarter than those who do not see the cross as forgiveness but see it as foolishness? Does that, does that mean that, 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 that you are just holier than them? Does that mean that you are just more religious? No. It's just the fact that it's God's love and mercy that has opened your hearts to see the goodness of the gospel and then marvel at it and go, yes, and respond to that. It's not that you and I are any smarter than those who think that the cross is foolishness. It's that the, our hearts have been opened, our ears have been opened to the truth, and that is an act of mercy. It is an act of grace. And we should just marvel at that and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. I was drawn by the Holy Spirit to salvation. And um, it's an act of mercy. It's been given to you. It's been given to you. Um, secondly, here, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, it says in verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing... They do not see, hearing, they do not hear, and do not understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. This is what it says. Hearing, you will hear, and you shall not understand. And seeing, you will see, and do not perceive. For the heart of these people have grown dull. Have grown dull. And their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have been closed. Let, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them this is the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah was commissioned by God to go and preach now before he went remember Isaiah remember Isaiah remember Isaiah he said um, I'm a man of unclean lips and the seraphim comes with tongs and the coal cleanses his lips and he said well your sins are atoned for therefore um, then um, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, God calls out and says, who will go speak to speak to my people? Remember that story? Go, go and speak to my people. Um, and, then, and then Isaiah says, here I am. I will go. And then God says, this is the message that you should preach. But when you preach it, no one's going to listen. Can you imagine what Isaiah would be? What's the point? What's the point? If, if you're telling me to go preach his message, then what's the point? Here's the point. No one, when we get to heaven, or when people see that Jesus is real, no one will be without excuse. No one. No one. That's the point. That's, it's a judgment. So it's literally saying, you've, you've heard it. You've heard the gospel. You've shut your ears. Therefore, that's it. But we are responsible to respond to the gospel. The yes, it's not just um, it's not just God's sovereignty above and and over a, a human responsibility. It's both. It's both. 
and, and, and we need to understand the fact that here Isaiah goes out and, and preaches the message, but he knew no one was going to listen. And he said, how often do I need to preach? And, and God says, until all cities are lay waste. Until all cities are lay waste. This is crazy. This is insane. So he, he's saying that the reason why I'm preaching parables, and, he, and then he says that, he quotes Isaiah, it means the same thing. <laughs> it means the same thing. It means I have already tried. I've spoken in clear, plain truth. But people continue to reject me. So therefore, I'm going to speak in parables. And you know what? For those of you who believe, I'm going to explain it to you. And I'm going to show you what it means. So that it can be clearer to you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? It's been given to us to understand. So, in saying that, parables then are designed to reveal and conceal. Therefore, parables act in a twofold way. They are a work of grace to make clear to the believer spiritual truth, and they are a work of judgment to obscure truth from a non believer. So, in saying that, let's have a look at the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. Now, I've read it out. I'm not going to read it again, but here we go. So, there are three things here. There's the sower, there's the seed, and there's the saw. The sower represents the speaker or the preacher. The seed represents the word. The soil represents the human heart. The point of this parable is designed to help us understand gospel evangelism. This is going to be very, very, very encouraging to you. By the time we finish this, I believe that you are going to be encouraged. You're going to be equipped. The whole purpose of this parable is to help us understand gospel evangelism. That when we, we're all committed, what is our main well, just strip everything. What is our main point as a Christian? What is our main? We got saved. That's awesome. That is amazing. What a beautiful act of grace and love that we are saved and we understand the gospel and we, and we, and we truly love Jesus. What do we do after that? We, we don't just die and go to heaven right there, right? Why are we on earth for? What is our main goal as a Christian to continue on this earth? What is it? The Great Commission, right? To go, right? Spread the gospel and make disciples. That's what I love what Emmanuel is doing. He's going and, and, and preaching the gospel. That is the main point, right? The main point is the reason why we're still here sitting here on this earth as Christians is to, and everything helps us, Every spiritual thing that we see in the Bible helps us to then uh, uh, continue in this, right? To go and preach the gospel, make disciples. Preach the gospel, go and tell people, make disciples. Go tell people about me. Spread the word, spread the kingdom, and then disciple them. That's pretty much Christianity, right? Would you agree? Okay. Obviously, there's... A lot of ways to do that. There's demonstrations of that as well. But there is the speaking as well. Don't ever neglect the fact that you demonstrate and you speak. 
Okay? People need to hear the words. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing. That's where faith comes from. Faith. Saving faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So that's how faith comes. Okay? Now listen to this. Listen to this. So it goes on. Three, three things. Sorry. There is four, four soils. I've lost it. <laughs> I'm getting too excited. Okay. This is exciting. I'll tell you why. Because you're going to find out that in preaching, in, in, in telling people about Jesus, it is not a disappointment when you don't see them come to Christ straight away. You're going to see the reason why. Okay. Um, I need a drink. This is good. This is good. All right. The issue is not the sower. That's encouraging. The issue is not the seed. The issue is the soil. Now, he's, this is important. The issue is not the speaker, the one who grabs the seeds and throws. The thing is, we've got to be able to just pick up the seed. What's the seed? The Word of God and throw. How often? How, you know what? It's very hard to do that. Let's, let's really be honest. It's not easy to grab seeds and throw them. I'm talking about it's not easy to get the Word of God and speak it to your friends, your family, your work colleagues. How often do opportunities go past our way and we, sh- and we shy back because of fear of what? Rejection? Intimidation? All we have to do is sow. Now, when we do that, first thing is we've got to do that, right? And we do that by the help of the Holy Spirit. There is no way that you can do it on your own. Okay? The help of the Holy Spirit, He helps us and, and, and gives us the boldness to do that, right? The other thing is the seed. We throw the seed of the gospel of truth, the word of God. There's no need to tamper with it. There's no need to try and peel the outer layer so that it's easier to fall into the soil. The seed is true. The, the seed is truth. The seed is effective as its own. We don't have to tamper with it. There is no, no reason just to, to try and maybe just cut it in half perhaps because that way when it hits the soil it'll be just it'll be quicker we just throw the soil throw the seed onto soil and, and the seed is truth the seed is perfect as it is he's given it to us it's perfect it's perfect no need to tamper with it the, the soil is the issue the soil represents the human heart right and and um the first soil the first soil is this the roadside soil, which represents the hard heart, right? This is the seed that falls on hard, beaten path. It's like concrete. No response at all. No res- they're, they're, des- they're described in 2 Corinthians verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is vowed, it is vowed to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the unbeliever to, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's soil number one. 
How many times have you shared your faith, shared the gospel with someone, and they're indifferent, totally indifferent? I'm going to have to hurry. <clears throat> the second soil is the shallow soil. This represents a superficial Christian, false converts. In Mark 4, verse 5, it talks, that's where, we, where, it, where it talks about. Listen to this. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of the 1800s, said this. There are people who come forward under an emotional appeal and then immediately go backward in their sin. They go into the inquiry room and get converted in five minutes and have nothing to do with godliness the rest of their lives. This is the person who hears the word, receives it, right? This is the, this is the person, this is the shallow soil. So what happens is, um, and you can actually go into, um, you know, the history of uh, back, in, back there where, in, in, where they were, there, there were some soils that were really uh, um, rocky, so what it was is shallow soil. So there was a layer of soil, but underneath it was just bedrock. So what would happen when the seed and the farmers knew this, that's why they, underst they understood the story. Um, and when, when Jesus illustrated what it meant, the spiritual meaning of it, they understood even more. They understood the fact that the plants might have fallen on the soil, but only grow to a certain degree because there was a bedrock underneath. So this was rocky soil. This was not good soil. It represents superficial superficial um, hearers superficial those who receive it it might have been out of an emotional response it might have been out of out of whatever um, but deep down they're hard hearts they're people that still enjoy their sin they don't forsake sin they want God but they want the benefits of heaven but have hard hearts it's rock underneath right third soul is weedy soul this is dangerous these are people concerned for cares of life they want Christ but still want the world double mindedness right this is the person who wants salvation wants Christ wants the kingdom but wants the world and wants the riches of the world and, 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 and it's pretty obvious that it's double mindedness this reminds me of the rich young ruler what did the rich young ruler want salvation he ran he ran to Jesus teacher teacher tell me how do I get eternal life tell me he wanted it it's not that he didn't want it he was keen but what happened was, he's an illustration of that he loved money more than he loved God. As an example of where it says that you cannot serve two gods, you can either serve money or Jesus. You can't serve both. This is, represents the person who, who an example like in, in, um, in Luke 9, the excuses. Teacher, um, um, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, okay, uh, let the, um, and they made excuses. He said, follow me. And they made excuses. Wait, wait, let me just bury my father. And Jesus goes, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me and preach the kingdom of God. Made excuses. Oh, but I've bought a piece of ground and can I just go in? Uh, no, Jesus says, no, you can't. This is an example of people 
who are double-minded. They have, they have a desire to follow God, but they don't want to let go of worldly things. So what happens? The seed starts to grow for a little time, but the riches and the cares of life choke the word and it dies. Riches. It's scary. And that's why we need to be careful and adamantly despise the prosperity gospel because it literally teaches that you can have God and money as well. And it is exactly what the opposite of what the Bible is preaching here. It's teaching here that you cannot serve God and money. Is it wrong to have money? No, it's not. Otherwise, we'll all be in trouble. It's how we love. Do we idolize it? Or, 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 or do, we love, do we love God more than we love our possessions? That's the main point. Not that we have it. Not the point. The point is, do we love it as much as God? Or do we want it and God? If God says, give it up, will we give it up? That's the point. That's the point. Um, and so what is the chief evidence of conversion? So far we've seen emotional, we've seen quick response, we've seen interest. But the fourth soul is this. Genuine believers who endure to the end produce a harvest. They produce a harvest. Salvation is a regeneration. It's a real transformation, turning people from loving self to God, from pride to humility, from reigning power of sin to the reigning power of righteousness. Right? Um, at the 17th century reformer, Jonathan Edwards said this, they that are converted are new men, new creatures, new not old with, with, within, without. They're sanctified throughout in spirit, soul, and body. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. They have new hearts, new eyes, new ears, new tongues, new hands, new feet. They walk in newness of life and continue to do so to the end of life. This is the person who has a good soul who says Jesus and sees the goodness of Jesus and says, Create in me a new heart. <laughs> As the psalmist says, create in me a new heart, O Lord. I'm going to need to speed up. So, this is interesting here. Good soil is not natural. Hard, weedy soil is natural. Weeds need to be pulled out. Stone needs to be broken up. Needs to be broken up. Uh, Ezekiel uh, says, in, in Ezekiel it says, um, 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone and from, the, and, and, and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That is a conversion. That is, uh, that is salvation. The soil then goes to produce 30, 60, 100 fold. This is the point that some people will produce 30, some people will produce 60, some people will produce 100. Does it mean that you try and produce 100? No, God might have given you the grace to produce 30. As long as you're producing fruit, that's great. Does it mean that you envy the one who's producing 100? No, because that's the way God's designed that person to produce 100-fold. Uh, don't envy the person who's producing more in the kingdom of God as long as you're producing fruit. Amen. Yeah? So there are 30, there are 60, there are 100. So there are different varying of harvest for each people but as long as we are producing a harvest, as long as the Word of God has settled in our hearts, changed us, produced, uh, is producing um, uh, uh, in us sanctification and just loving God and just loving people 
and doing the work of God. Amen. So that is the point. That is the point that when we go out and, sp- and, and share the message of the good news, right? When we go out and spread the message of the gospel, some people won't receive it. Some people will, yeah, you know, show interest, but they still want to hold on to things. And we see that the, the seed, the good seed, falls onto different soils that produce different results. This is what we must do. Pray. God, cultivate their hearts, their soil. Pull the roots up. Only you, God, can cultivate the soil and the nutrients and make it a good soil so that the seed fall on good soil and produces a harvest. God, I ask that as I preach, as I speak to my friends, my family, that you would make their hearts pliable, that you would take the heart of stone and, and replace it with the heart of flesh. God, can you do that? Do you know why? Because only God can save someone. Only God can save someone. And all we do, this is all we do, this is all we do, we just throw the seed. Is that encouraging? Don't get disappointed when you share your faith and someone doesn't come to Christ immediately. You've sown the seed. The thing is, do it. I'm pleading with you, I'm pleading with myself that we see opportunities to sow the seed. Sow the seed. Tell someone about Jesus Christ. Tell them what Jesus has done for them. Tell them, just sow the seed, the gospel of truth. Sow it, sow it, sow it, sow it, sow it, sow it. So wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just do it. I'm preaching to myself as much as you. Right? And ask God to work in their hearts. Amen? The other two parables, which you don't have time to, to read, it goes on and says, you know what? You don't have to even worry once you've, once you've sown the soil, you don't even have to worry about how it produces the harvest. If it's fallen on good soil, it will. You can sleep on it. That's actually what it says. Look, uh, the parable of the growing seed in Mark. The sower, the farmer, sows the seed, goes to bed. He goes to bed. He has a nap. He's done his job. God does the rest, right? Mustard seed, Jesus is saying, it might seem like it started small, and this is a relating, but it's, again, in their, their perspective, people were running away from Jesus once he starts teaching. They love the miracles. They came and flocked. When Jesus started preaching, people ran, started walking away. And Jesus said, well, do you want to walk away too? And his disciples were like, who else are we supposed to go to? You have, you're, the, 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 you're the truth, right? And what happens is it looked small to them right there. It looked like something small. But you know what? Even a few years later, in Acts, we see people coming to, to Christ, people being converted, and, and, and 3,000 and 5,000, and, and it just started to grow. And millions of people throughout the age, and Christians right now, there are millions, millions of people who are in love with Jesus today. Might start small but it's producing a harvest. Anyway, I want to encourage you with that. I want to encourage you with that. Don't shy back. Be bold. Let's stand up and pray.